Hey friends, this is The Commute. We're two Aussies in New York City. I'm Adam. And I'm Ruben. And each episode, we'll pick one of life's many questions and get some answers from someone that knows a thing or two about it. On this week's episode, we speak with Alison Shooter about antiquing. Rubes, how are you, mate? Good, mate. I'm very good. I've uh, been looking forward to this episode. I'm going to find out the value of all the stuff that's in my wardrobe. Mate, it was funny when you proposed this idea to me to to do an episode on antiquing. I was like, huh, I don't think I've ever thought about antiquing. And I was like, let's learn a little bit. I know we're normally supposed to do a little bit of banter right here at the front. Is all the stuff in your house very new, mate? Is that what it, it is? It is, mate. I'm a I'm a new stuff guy. So I'm a minimalist, actually. No, no, I'm you a don't minimalist. Buy anything that's more than a year old. And I also throw things out as they get up to a year old. So I'm very anti-antiquing. The anti-antiquer <laughs> is what they call me. <laughs> All right. This is actually a super fun, super interesting conversation. I think we should just go to it, mate. Yeah, let's let's do it. Hi, Alison. Thanks Hi. for coming on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're talking about antiques today. And um, before we get into it, maybe do you want to give a just for our listeners uh, a little bit about your background in in the world of antiques? Yeah, I started about six years ago now. Uh, it was a family business. Lots of my dad did it, my uncle did it, my cousins did it. And it was always somewhat interesting to me, but I never actually wanted antiques in my house. I never thought, wow, I love this stuff. But the more I was around it, the more I really started to appreciate it. And I started to dive into the world of antiques and see how it actually works. So I used to have, um, before COVID, I used to have a store in the antique center in 25th Street. Um, I shared it with somebody else and I'd be there basically on the weekends because during the week there's nobody in there. And I buy and sell antiques. So if somebody wants to come to me to sell something, um, I try to buy it and I try to find customers to sell it to. Can I ask a really basic question that when we were prepping for this pod, Adam and I were, what exactly makes something an antique? Right. So I feel like when people think of antiques and whenever I tell them what I do, they always think, you think of the antique store when you're driving in the middle of nowhere and it's like an old wooden barn with just like old things. And that is not what I consider antiques. Like when you see like an old <laughs> American flag and like a rocking chair and basically just garbage. And that isn't really considered <laughs> antiques. I would say that would be considered antiques to most people when they think of antiques. But when you're really in it, that's not what it is. Antiques, I deal with stuff that are come from 1700s, 1800s, sometimes 1600s. And that's the real, those are the real antiques. So it's based something an antique. A real antique is its age. But of course, there's all these little antique shops set up where you can really just buy, buy, buy things for $5, $10. You know, but I, I deal with higher end merchandise and real age to the items. That's interesting. So that's literally stuff that's four, four to five hundred years old. Not, not some twenty year old uh, Nintendo Entertainment System that someone thinks is an antique, but like exactly. hundreds of years. Exactly. Yeah. Like I get lots of texts. Oh, I found this in the basement, and it's like from fifty years ago. It doesn't not make it an antique, but you know, it's just not what I deal with. And it's not where the real value items are. Yeah, that was going to be my next question, which was like, do we have antiques that we don't know about in our own garage? But chances are, at least ones you deal with, pro- probably not because you're not going to just stumble across something that's 400 years old. I mean, if it's from your grandmother or your grandmother, grandfather, maybe. 
you know, even 100 years old, 200 years old, that still has age to it. But the real, real good stuff, we're talking about three, 400 years old. Alison, where does that stuff come from? Like when you, this is, so let's say you deal with stuff that's three, 400 years old. I'm going to say most of that probably doesn't sit just in someone's drawer somewhere that they, maybe, maybe it does. Where does it come from? Like, where do you actually get this stuff from? A lot of it does. So a lot of stuff I buy in auctions there's this platform which is really cool it's called Live Auctioneers and it has auctions from all over the world on it. And it's very, very cool. There's just everything on it. Um, sometimes there's heirlooms passed down from family member to family member to family member, you know, a special cup, a special plate, and people don't even know what it is and they just keep passing it down. And eventually they bring it to somebody and they figure out its value. So there, there could be items like that. And also in there's a lot of um, huge antique shows during the year. This year, there hasn't been any, but there's a huge one in Miami with about like a thousand dealers. What antiques come down to is knowledge. So if I have more knowledge than you on a certain piece, I'm going to win. So if I know that this piece is value, but you don't, I'm going to buy it from you and then sell it for double. Interesting. Interesting. Is that the game? Is that the that's well, the game? Say, that's, that's, is that the game? Which is like because there are a lot of people who basically have no idea how much something's worth. Exactly, and you can be a dealer, an antique dealer, and still not know how much something's worth. So it's really just comes down to knowledge. I have I work with someone who's been doing this for forty years, let's say, but maybe there's one area that I know better than him, and there is one area that I know better than him, and I try to buy something from him cheaper, which I know has more value. And then I sell it. So it's all about who knows more than who. And that's where you find the good deals. And how did you get that knowledge, Alison? Is that just like you said, your parents were in this business as well. Is that just kind of like absorbed knowledge? Or did you actually like study this? Like, what's the like, how did you get to that point where you're like, I know this and I can value this? You have to really, you really just have to learn it. You have to study it. I don't, I don't do art. Art's a whole other world, but that you really could study. But I do a lot of silver. So silver is all about a mark. So you could have two cups that look exactly the same, but it depends what the mark. Every silver is marked. It's marked with a country stamp or a year stamp or sometimes both or sometimes who the maker is of the item. You mean like when you say silver, you're talking like sterling silver. Like si- silver thing, sterling. things that were made for households and sil- sterling silver. Yes, yes. So for example, a cup and it can have a mark on it. Let's say there's a mark of an N that means Nuremberg in Germany. So if it says Nuremberg in Germany, you know, it's from the 1600s or the 1700s. Whereas if that same exact cup had a mark that says Sterling 925, which is the content of the silver. And and if it says Sterling, you know, it's not very old because it has been made within the last hundred years. How do you know? What if someone just says he's a, he's a, I don't know, a cup and I put an N on it. Like, like, how do you know that it it's legitimate versus, you know, it's fabricated? They do have lots of fabrications. And a lot of people I know have gotten in real bad situations because of that. And it happens all the time. But you, you can tell. You can kind of see if a silver has age. The longer you get to know the silver, you can really see the age of it. You can look at the mark. You can see if it looks used or worn, you really can eventually tell, but sometimes they have such good fakes, you wouldn't know the difference. So it's kind of a mixture of, you need to see enough of the real stuff that when the fake stuff comes along, it's, you can tell, even if you can't articulate it, you just like, no, this is off or it's missing something. Exactly. That's why it's really difficult sometimes to buy things in online auctions when you don't actually see the item because 
once you get it, sometimes you're like, wait, this isn't right. Can't, there's only so much you can tell from a picture. And how much money are we talking about, Alison, when it comes to antiques? Because in my head, I think antique, especially when you're saying 400, three, four, 500 years old, we're talking in the thousands. Is that like sort of par for the course when it comes to things like, I mean, you said your area is silver. So in that space, is that what it is or is it very ranged? The price of the items? Yeah, like when you go to buy something or the, the, the market, when you're on these auctions. So silver is really interesting. I don't know if you know this. Silver goes by weight. So let's say a piece of silver um, weighs 25 ounces, okay? Now you look at what the current silver price is. The current silver price before COVID was about $15 an ounce. So you do 15 times 25, and that's the price of the silver if you took it and, and melted it down. Because silver has a value melted down. Right. So now it has gone up in price to $25 an ounce. So if you bought silver for $15 an ounce, you're making good, some good money now when you sell. That's the baseline. So that's the baseline of what, of what it costs. You're never going to buy something for less than the price of the silver. Because why wouldn't that person just go and melt it? Okay, cool. So the baselines, the floor is always just the amount, the, like in, in the case of silver, the floor is just whatever the silver price is. Exactly. So that's always, so let's say this, this piece was $15, it was 25 ounces and the current market price was $15 an ounce. So that piece was $375. Nobody's going to sell it to me for less than $375. But then I'm willing to pay more if let's say this piece is Tiffany silver or it's a very old piece of silver, or it's an English silver, or a Turkish silver, it depends what type. And then you'll, you'll add what you think to it. And I guess de- depending on the provenance, if it came from some nobleman or some whatever family and whatever the story and history is behind it yes. as well. Now, if you're talking outside of silver, where you can really make a profit, it's, I'll give you an example. I bought this piece, there's something called Viennese enamel. And it was made in Austria in the 1700s, 1800s. And it's basically hand-painted enamel. It's magnificent. Nobody can make it nowadays. I bought this big cabinet in the big Miami show. And somebody, I still paid a nice amount for it. I paid $4,000 for it. Okay. And I brought it to my booth to sell. And this other dealer came and he said, I'll give you 6000 for it. And you sell it and you move it on. Whereas now he might go and have a customer for it. And sell it for eight thousand dollars. Wow. Okay. We could we could be could be talking thousands, or we can be talking millions. I haven't worked with the millions yet. I haven't worked with the hundreds thousands yet. But there are people who do. It's funny. It's, a, it's it all comes down to even just like a simple system of of what does the person think that it's worth, and it might be worth eight to somebody. But if you can get it for four and sell it for six, then you've done exactly. what you needed to do. And exactly, I like to move my stuff on. I don't hold on to wait to find the highest price possible because you know. It, Unfortunately, there's not a lot of buyers for antiques nowadays. Do you have a garage full of yeah. antiques that you've just held? I do. <laughs> yeah. Guys, I do. Don't come to my house. I do. It's all stored in my in, in a house. And um, we used to have it at our place, but before COVID at our little booth. But And obviously, it had some storage in the house. But now it's all in my house, just sitting in boxes, kind of. Having said that, you're, if, if, when you do host dinner parties, is your dinner party the most well-appointed? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this sterling silver cup I'm drinking out of. Yeah. Tonight we are we are dining with the King of Prussia's plate set from uh Yeah. You, know. <laughs> you want to know something. I would I would never there's not really many pieces I would keep in my house. I don't love how antiques look. It's not my style, but I appreciate their beauty and their age. 
Do you feel like a lot of people collect antiques similar to maybe art where they're like, well, I don't really, it's not really like to your point, not really my, um, it doesn't fit my eye, but I appreciate it's well worth. It's a lot about collecting. People get a hobby where they want to collect something, whether it's art, whether it's silver pieces by a certain maker, whether it's something called Viennese enamel, Chinese items, and they, they form a collection and they get really proud of it. And they really build their inventory. And those are the customer. These collectors are your customers. Because if you find a piece that they don't have, they'll spend any price for it. Unfortunately, these people who are collectors and who have the money to buy these stuff are usually much older. And there's becoming less and less people as they unfortunately pass away to be these collectors and to buy these items. You know, I don't know anyone our age who would be interested in buying the items I sell. That's an interesting point because... It's all about your market, right? If you have a niche market where people care about Viennese silver, then someone's going to pay for it. Then they agree it's worth something. But I was I was going to ask you, which was like, has has antiquing waned in popularity? And I guess that's sort of the world we live in today. There's so many other things that you can be highly passionate about. Like, is antiquing waning? It sounds like it Definitely. is. Definitely. Since I started, it like I remember when I came in, people would tell me about the good old days. You know. When also when the internet in the sixteen hundreds, yeah, <laughs> no, even like, <laughs> ah, even like we're talking like the good old days. We're talking like twenty years ago when people wouldn't didn't know eBay and Google. I mean, not that that was twenty years ago, but it wasn't as popular. Right, right now, everyone can Google everything. So if they find something in their grandma's house, they're going to Google it. They're not going to come bring it to me, and I'm going to buy it cheap from them. They're going to know their value, and if anything asks more, then they, it should be valued out. So that's when you used to really just. You know, and there were so many collectors out there. So I would say even since I started, the the antiques have gone down so much. What I used to sell things for, I can't even, it's really gone down. And it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for those antique sellers there who this has been their whole life. And they don't have a back, you know, they're just sitting with all this merchandise that they paid a lot of money for that they can't get their money back on. Yeah. So aside from whether young people are interested in it or not, just the whole added angle of of having the internet there where you can see what your thing is worth or maybe where in the past they would have bought something off you on a weekend, yes. Allison, because you were the only source for antiques for them. Now they can buy anything from all over the world. So there's a lot more supply in a, in a certain yes. way. What, what I find difficult is I've been places before and I've tried to sell something and in front of me, they will look it up on the computer and be like, oh, I can buy it here I can buy it here if it's worth this much on eBay. And I'm like, well, eBay is not an accurate presentation because anybody can put anything on eBay and say, here, this is $5,000 when really it's only worth $1,000, let's say. But they see it on eBay and they think that's how much it's worth, but it's not. You actually have to always go to what it's sold for, which people don't do. I would have thought that antiques have some popularity just because Every time I seem to like, when we, especially when we go upstate or when we go to places, a lot more people, or even actually in New York City, in Chelsea mm-hmm. and whatnot, where there's a bunch of antique stores, it's always like crowded with people, like people like younger people looking for stuff. And I thought, given how like things are moving now, where people like to look at old things and nostalgia and whatnot, mm-hmm. that you'd have a lot more people that'd be keen for antique stuff, like antique silverware. I could see a 25-year-old having their wedding, which is, I need to have all antique silverware at my wedding. Do you know why nobody wants silver? Because you have to polish silver. If you don't polish silver, it gets gross. So people just don't want to deal with that. They'd rather buy stainless steel. 
when it comes to silver. So it's actually high maintenance. It's very to high maintenance. These women who have, let's say, cleaners to do it or whatever, fine. But if you have to do it yourself after every meal, it's it's really it's very high maintenance to keep silver, even just to display it. Like you have to constantly clean it. I have one piece of silver in my house, and I li- I have to clean it every single week, and it's annoying. And that's just one piece. But in terms of those markets, those flea markets, let's say in Williamsburg being packed, but it's, it's not really my stuff that t- my type of stuff that I deal with. We're talking more like super cool antique furniture that that does great antique furniture, antique objects, like just a clock, a random clock to stick on a mantle. Those are the stuff that's really popular right now. Uh, so Megs and I went to LA and when we were there, there's a really cool, we went to like a, an antique store. Well, it's it was just meant to be like an antique furniture store that we just stumbled into. And it was really cool. And they had like lots of really cool furniture and it was stuff from like the forties, the fifties. I think there was like a table there from like 1930 and it was, now I don't know if this classifies as an antique, I guess it does, but it was a table that was like one of two tables made by this one guy in Germany. And I, it was just like a tiny, like little, desk like a study table it looked Mm -hmm. really cool and i was just kind of curious and this is before i realized that i was well out of my depth at this in this store yeah and i was like oh how much is this uh how much is the table and in my head i'm i thought the guy's gonna go wow you know a thousand maybe two thousand dollars right the guy goes yeah this is and then he gives me the whole backstory of the table and then he goes yeah so it's approximately because this is the type of store this is. They don't actually have a price. It's like whatever they decide on the day. Yeah. And they go, it's approximately about 45000 Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I was like, holy, yeah. like it was so expensive. And I get it because it's one of two and apparently it's a big deal. And then I found out everything in the store was like around that price point. Yeah, it's crazy. What What's so crazy is you could see this and think it's a piece of garbage even sometimes. Sometimes I see things and I'm like, okay, no, it's garbage. It's nothing. And then you you don't even know. You can't even tell, especially with these wooden objects. You can't even tell. And and it could be someone I know once sold one of those wooden desks for a million dollars. I forgot what it was and whose it was. What? But it's crazy. What? And Sotheb- Sotheby's. He knew it was special. And that's what I'm saying with the knowledge is if I had this wooden desk, I would be like, oh, take it away from me. I don't even need it. It takes up all my space. And whereas he's like, wait, I know what this is. And he'll buy it for whatever I'll take it. I'll sell it to him for, and he'll go and give it to Sotheby's. The crazy thing is that guy probably bought that desk of some dude's garage who had no idea what it was for like $100. That is what happened. That is what happened. It makes me think just talking about how whether it's a ceramic bowl or an old desk or or silver from Nuremberg. We've had a couple of these episodes this season on the podcast. We did one where we talked about art, and then we did another one where we talked about Bitcoin, right? So art, Bitcoin, antiques, very different, but also very similar in the ways in that they are just these things, whether they're tangible or not, that we, at least if a certain group of people ascribe value to them, then they're worth something. Yes. You know? Yes. It's such an interesting thing to be like, I have no interest in a 500-year-old Chinese plate because my Ikea plates are sick and I don't need anything else. (laughs) But if you tell me this really cool desk that you want to buy for my birthday, was where a former US president had sex with one of his mistresses. I'd be like, that's cool. Like, oh, I want that table. Yeah. So it, it goes back to that your earlier point on how it's getting harder and harder to sell antiques or it yeah. sounds like potentially your demographic for antiquers, if that's what you call them, yeah. are slightly older. Yeah. But is that specifically in 
sort of silver um and is it different for different types of antiques like for example like to your point is antique furniture more people looking yes. for less mass produced and that sort of other types of furniture yes because everybody wants antique furniture because because you can get stuff from from the 80s and the 70s and that's so in right now 70s furniture you know new designers are just recreating it but to find a piece from the actual 70s and put, put in your house most people would like that. Most people like these cool penis pe- peoples. <laughs> Most people like. These By the way, <laughs> when we're not, we're not going to cut that out. We're going to leave in the part where you said penis. You know, I said we edit things. We're not editing that. Out. <laughs> That'll go on the show notes. Tell us as more well. about cool penises, Allison. <laughs> Most people like these cool pieces of furniture. And that's what everybody wants to have in the house. So that's thriving. The antique furniture business is doing excellent. When you're talking about um, antique furniture from the 60s, 70s, 80s. So you're saying that the the chair that my parents probably still have from 1985 uh, is, is going to be worth, so cool gonna be right worth now, something Ruben. one day? The craziest thing about antique furniture is if you can charge whatever you want on it because it's one of a kind piece. So it's not like antique silver where there's a, there's usually more than one of it made or any of antiques like where it has a value. Antique furniture, you really can charge whatever you want because these designers come in and you can just say, this is the price of the chair. If they want it, they're going to buy it. It doesn't have a set value. Antique furniture is really, it's a great niche of antiques. Aside from whether it's stylish or not, or whether it has longevity, do you think that furniture that's made today could be considered antique 50 years from now? Because one of the things you said was stuff from the 60s or 70s, it's probably one of one or one of a hundred. You know, there's not many, so it's worth more and it's very unique. Whereas we live in a world today where everything is mass produced and you can buy a million of everything. Like, Will antiquing not even be a thing for the 2000s? No, I think so. I th- it's all about demand. So let's say uh, restoration hardware, right? That big furniture store. Let's say they go out of business. In 50 years, those stuff can be hard to find and people are going to want them and their price can double. You know, it, it's it's about demand. There's a famous designer called Milo Bauman. He made, used to make in the 70s and 80s these chairs and he doesn't do it anymore. So people who find their pieces... They look for them and they want them in their house and they'll pay whatever price it is to have them. Is there anything that you think is made today or it's been made in the last couple of decades that could potentially have that value because of its rarity decades from now? And just to give you a few examples of where my head's at, like I mentioned before, like a, a Nintendo or a Game Boy, it seems to be one of the popular things is to have the old retro arcade game. A Nokia 3210, mate. Get one of those. Yeah, yeah I mean, like I'm, a retro phone. I mean, I'm sure. Like, or is like, that just recency bias, though? No. Just because we want to think that we're important. I'm sure. I mean, like, I even kept the letter that they sent out from that Trump sent out from the White House to say, like, about the vote for um, me because I give you this money. Anything, anything. In a hundred years from now, two hundred years from now, those pieces of paper can be worth money. You know, there's still always going to be a market for history for something special. Do people still collect stamps? Yes, yes, that's a huge one. Stamps and coins. As a kid, I remember coins as a kid I collected stamps, but then I just yeah. assumed that everyone's done doing it now because no one uses stamps. No, it's it's still big. Coins is bigger. Coins is a big one. But yeah, but it, also what what people like to do is the reason people start these whole collections is, is what you were saying before about Bitcoin. It's an investment. What people used to buy all these antiques because they thought, okay, I'm going to buy it now when I'm 50. So let's say they bought it in in the the 70s. And in 30 years from now, it's going to be worth even more money. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily what happens. And a lot of people bought this stuff at the height of the market. But 
that's what they were doing. They were trying to put their money into something and that hopefully would grow in value. Now, there's also a lot of shady people because there's a lot of people who buy antiques because they don't want their money in the banks for not so good reasons. So would you have a lot of customers in antiques who aren't necessarily so clean? Are you saying (laughs) that antiques is a lot of like laundered money? You know, they need to put their money somewhere. A lot of these people, they don't want to show their money in the bank. So what they'll do is they'll buy an a hundred, I mean, let's go extreme, an $100,000 item. Then when they, let's say, come to seize their house or seize their items, they say, oh, it's worth, you get what I mean. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it's just, oh, it's just a piece of silver. It's, yeah. it's a fork. Yeah. It's no big deal. Exactly. I ate my spaghetti with this fork. Oh, exactly. See, Alison, this is something that Ruben and I, we're just not familiar with this concept because we don't have enough money to worry about hiding it. I, I, don't, have, yeah. I don't have enough money to actually launder money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you exactly. can't really like, no, there's no point trying to, to launder see. a couple of like 10, 15 dollars. That's a lot of that's a lot of effort. I wouldn't be able to afford the fees for laundering. Right, Whatever those right. shark people do, well, I can't do it. Well, I'll actually, I'll actually tell you guys something really interesting. So a big part of my business actually was ivory. And but let me explain to you before you get anybody gets upset. Ivory <laughs> You haven't been cancelled yet. No. I'll give you hold time on, to hold on. get uncancelled. Now you've been cancelled. <laughs> ivory <laughs> was I'm ta- I used to really deal with old, old ivory, like made in the you know, 1700s, where people would carve these beautiful images out of it. Now, do I agree with poaching elephants and taking their tasks? Absolutely not. I don't deal with the new ivory, but I will tell you what upset me is that they banned, they started it slow, and then they completely banned ivory selling in the in New York. So people didn't buy new, because they thought it would cause people to buy new stuff and cause for more elephants to be killed. So it wiped out the market for all old 100-plus-year-old ivory? So even worse than that, which it really upsets me because it kind of destroyed history. So I agree with that. I agree fine. But you know what? If something was made 400 years ago, let, let antique dealers sell it. Let, let us sell it. You can find the new stuff if you'd like, but let us prove a do- give us a document, which what they, what, this, what they first did. They gave you, you had to prove a document that this piece of ivory was more than 200 years old. I'm wondering why they would say stop all like for stuff that's again two, three, four hundred years old. Is that because they were worried that people would try to pass off new ivory as old ivory? You know what? These people they were at, it was the agricultural department. They they don't understand it. They didn't understand it, and and it really they it, weren't thinking about antiquing when they made. They the weren't rule. thinking about antiquing, yeah. but they are right. I do understand their point. But, but I'll tell you what they did, which is the worst part, is they took all this illegal ivory that they seized. They went to people's stores. They seized all their ivory. They took millions of dollars from people, millions of dollars from people in ivory. People had millions of dollars worth of ivory. They took it from their store. Not only did they put them in jail, but did they find them? And then they took all this ivory. And I don't know if you remember, in the middle of Times Square, they grinded it all down. Oh, wow. I didn't they remember that at all. When was this, that Allison? were made, I want to say, four years ago, I want to say. I don't remember this. Three or four years ago. And they grinded. They destroyed The history. artwork, you mean, and like the, the carvings? They destroyed and art. Like it was awful. I was like, fine, at least put it in a museum, you know? And it really took a whole chunk of market because there were some people who just dealt in ivory. I dealt in ivory. They really stopped it. They really destroyed. That's the crazy. That seems so wacky. That I guess maybe it shouldn't be a surprise. Is is, is it the the unintended side effects of 
trying to do good, but like it just seems crazy that they would go to that point where it's one thing to make it illegal to sell it, but to take it away from people who owned it and then yeah, cause us make a scene in Times Square and grind it down. That's a it's a bit much. Yeah, they took it from from someone and they they they, they took out all his merchandise. Yeah, it's crazy that they would take art that has been made with it, mm-hmm. and that's like two or three hundred year old art. And do that. I mean, yeah, to your point, just give it to a museum or give it to yeah, it kills a curator because it it's still – Yeah, okay, it's not great that it's made out of ivory. Everyone knows Definitely where it comes not. from. But it's still 200-300-year-old it, art. Right. It was done. You know, 300 years, there's nothing we can go back and do. And and they should have banned the sale of new ivory. That's fine. But, you know, to grind it up. I wasn't expecting the story to go that way. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> pretty awful. It's pretty awful. One of the like largest shows and TV shows right now on the planet is Antiques Roadshow. It's got like yeah. some outrageous amount of like viewers and numbers, and it's like one of the most successful. And it keeps getting renewed because it keeps making money for whichever I don't know which station or which network runs it. Ruben, I did not know that it was so popular. Mm, I, I I did not numbers know numbers wise. It actually makes like the viewers are like really high for it. And it's quite like a broad range of viewers. Yeah, it's a BBC show, Rubes, and I think in the States it's an NPR that carries oh, okay. it. Yes. And it's been going since 1997, so like all, almost 25 yeah. years at this point. But in my head, I'm like, yeah. the people that watch Antiques Roadshow are older people, but apparently no. Like they have a lot of people, like their, their demographic of viewers runs from like the twen- like mid-20s all the way up to those, to like what I guess what you consider traditional viewers. And I guess my question is, what's your take on that? Like, do you, I would have thought because of that, there's more renewed interest in antiques or is that not the case? I think it makes more people think that everything they get is, oh, this could be really expensive one day. But honestly, I have watched it. It's nonsense. It's, it's, he comes up with prices where it's just not heard of. Like he's using prices from 20 years ago at the peak of the market. That's not what things sells for nowadays. Oh, interesting. So are you saying that like – I've not watched it to be fair, but are you saying that like yeah. part of that is a bit showy? Like it's it's not necessarily completely accurate in the way – Yeah, definitely not. I mean I know – I think he goes to go to this elephant trunk. It's a flea market in Connecticut. I'm pretty sure that's where they film it usually. Um, and I've been there and I know some guys he's come to and, and he's given them prices for something and they were like, absolutely not. That's not how much I'm selling this for. Bombshell. Yeah. This famous TV show long running Break is all it full open. of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe 20 years ago, he's, he's, he's using prices from, you know, when antiques were just the at the height of what their popularity like looking at wristwatches being like this is never going to go out don't worry there'll be nothing ever to replace a watch yeah <laughs> that's actually also another big thing in antiques that's doing very well is jewelry jewelry because what kind women of jewelry? and men always love jewelry they always like watches they always like diamonds um that's something that always sells and a lot of antique dealers that i know that we used to work in silver or enamel or or Chinese pieces have really transitioned to jewelry because that's where they make their money in. That's where people are always coming in from the street saying, oh, do you have a ring I'm looking for? Do you have a watch? People collect watches. I know that, right? That's a big thing now. Lots of people are like, I've got this watch from my dad and I know it's valuable. Is it valuable? Is it actually valuable? Or people holding on to like Omegas and in reality, they don't fetch that much? No, Omegas get great money. Omegas actually make you get great money. It obviously all depends on the brand. You know, old old Rolexes, old Omegas, old 
um, Patek Philippe's, um, Cartier, all those. I mean, we're already talking about expensive watches, but uh, age on them and unique ones definitely can fetch sometimes even more money than the new ones. How about those Casio shockwaves? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like I missed my chance. I had a guy on the on the on the weekend try to sell me sell me a Rolex for ten bucks, and I thought, ah, nah, I, I, I don't know, but maybe. You know what? Those copies are great. A huge profit. Those copies are sometimes so good. I know some of the best watch dealers can get not know not know sometimes, which is real and which the is fake. Yeah, that that's the interesting thing about the time that we're living in now: the ability to replicate things, copy things, fake them. Like technology, the, the the manufacturing technology is so much more ubiquitous that people can do something like that, where they'll design a fake watch, yeah, or a fake painting, or or whatever. Like so many more people are capable of doing that. Yeah, I wonder definitely. if it's gotten harder to to tell the difference between a fake and a real antique. I know that's a very broad question, but if it's gotten harder. It has because people have gotten the stamps, like you were saying, that end stamp. Not necessarily that, but people have gotten the stamps to put on the silver, and sometimes you don't know the difference. It's really hard. There's, I, I also work with a lot of Judaica, which is basically old Jewish religious items. So it could be like cups for the Sabbath or candlesticks or menorahs, and you find some really cool stuff there. The problem with that is that people can put these – there's famous, famous makers who's items fetch tons of money. And then all they have to do is put a stamp on, especially the newer, the guys from the eighties and the nineties who are no longer around. Um, all they do is put their stamp on and it's really hard to tell the difference. You really have to know your stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you ever come across a, an antique where, okay, it's a great antique, but it's come from a place or like similar to the ivory game um, story, but it's come from a place which is problematic. Totally. So I would never buy it. Na- Nazi paraphernalia is like huge. Okay. I, I will, will not deal with it. You know, that could be something or anything, any hate group, you know, Nazi is the big one. Is there you know, a lot, is there every, a lot of stuff that comes from there from like a lot of stuff every time, not every time I don't auction, I, I search the auctions. I'm always searching for Germans. I search a lot for German silver, right? You'll see so many of the swastika stuff tons of that and there's people who collect this stuff guys wow are you saying so like you're saying there could be silverware that's like from that period so nine circa 1940 with yeah with like the swastika and with with nazi symbolism and that's people collect like that's sold i would have thought that there'd be some sort of law it's not usually silverware but there's the flags one are all over the flags the badges tons of stuff like that i would have thought there's like a law that stops you from doing that no. In Germany, no. probably. Yeah. But probably not here. Here, there's nothing yeah. you can do. It's free. You're you're buying history, but I wouldn't want to keep that history in my house. The people that you come across that are buying and selling that stuff, do they seem like sympathizers or are they just people who have convinced themselves, no, no, I'm against it, but this is history, so I want it? I've never been face to face with a person who have sold that. I've only seen it online on online auctions. So a lot of mm. times it's people who will give it to the auction or the auction house themselves. So I've never actually in my antique shows, I don't think I've ever seen a piece. Maybe I've seen a badge and they just got it and you know, but I would feel bad selling it at that point. I would. Yeah. I'm sure Adam, there's probably people who sell it who say, Look, I don't really sympathize but i value i understand the value of it but i don't think necessarily given the context of what it is i don't think that's an excuse it'd be like saying you know i don't sympathize but i'm going to sell you this uh paraphernalia from this plantation 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, you, yeah. you can't, you, I don't think you can say you're going to trade in it and then still be on the other side of the fence. Right. Oh, heavy. As heavy as silverware, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what? I actually, because I sell, so the reason why I do a lot of Judaica is because it's my, you know how we're talking, I was talking about knowledge. I have, there's not a lot of people who have knowledge of the Jewish pieces who can read the Hebrew, which I can, or, or really know about the items. So that's something that that's not a huge broad range of knowledge that people have. So I can find sometimes great pieces for a good price because people don't have that knowledge about the item. Whereas most items, it's still harder to find. Um, so I do like to buy that stuff a lot. And a lot of stuff I do buy are stuff that were from the Holocaust. And it's pieces that were hidden. I actually had a cup. This was super cool. It was a cup for wine for the Sabbath. And then underneath, if you flipped it over, you were able to pull out. There was like an emblem of a menorah, which is used for Hanukkah. And if you pulled it out, there were the little eight little wicks. So they wanted to keep it secret if that they were celebrating. Wow. Oh, wow. So that's cool. Only, only were, did you know when you turned it around that it was a Jewish item and that you pulled it out and it was um, an item yeah. for Hanukkah. It was very cool. I feel like that type of antique, when it has a good intersection of a story, an emotional connection, perhaps some use in it as well, those yeah. are the types of things that seem to live on, right? Like it's good. Like yes. It's a multi pronged reasoning for liking something as opposed to a a spoon or a cup, which you can take it or leave it. You have yeah. these specific religious items or historical with mm -hmm. regards to the Holocaust or even more simply, I'm assuming things like furniture and, and jewelry are also quite popular because they're also useful, right? Like yes. it's a way of, I'm going to sit yes. on that couch and use that table every day. It, it has a bit mm. more interaction. Yes. Yes. And also same with jewelry. You can have the same necklace, but if this one was worn by Marilyn Monroe, you fetch that much more for the item. People buy estates of sometimes famous people who passed away and their items can fetch so much money just because who that person was. That's why I've been telling Rubes he has to start wearing necklaces as his kid's um, college fund, but he's, he's, he's resisting. What are you talking about? My kid's <laughs> college fund is all built up in the first and second drawer that I've got of old <laughs> knickknacks. That'll one day appreciate the value. Yeah. yeah. You're going to go searching for My silver Nokia after this. Nokia 3210, <laughs> yeah. that's still there. Yeah. I've got the, the Motorola oh. Razor, the original. If you've got that, that's got to be worth something. Oh, love it. <laughs> love it. Question, Alison. Let's say I want to go buy an antique. If I went online to do that, how do I, like, is there a spot where I would go to and it would say, yeah, this is legit? Like, how would a layman like me know the difference between I'm going to a spot that's going to give me a legit antique? versus I'm going somewhere where it's kind of 50-50. Are there websites that are like, yeah, no, these guys are pretty legit? If it's from an antique store and like a reputable site and you know they have a store, I would do that. Or if you do go on eBay and make sure you have the ability to always return it and check the reviews, those are the places I would, would buy it. Sometimes in a flea market, you know, just use limited amount of money because you never know. So if you're willing to take the risk, if you love the item, it's worth whatever it is to you, you know. But if you're buying it purely for the value that you think it might bring, I would try to buy it for as little as possible. Now, a big thing about antiques, which this is, I don't know if you know, if you ever go into a antique store and something's marked, let's say, $10,000, you can probably get it for seven. Antiques are completely upmarked. Sometimes I know people who just double whatever they want to sell it for, they'll double it depending on who comes in. 
depending on people love to haggle and they think that if you buy an antique, you have to haggle. Mm. Are you saying that table that I saw in LA could have been like 150 bucks? You probably could have bought it for 20,000. I not, <laughs> not that that's still a lot of money, but most likely you could have. So whatever somebody gives you your price, whatever, whenever I ask to buy something, I always, I'll never take the first price. Never. Good rule of negotiation. Good rule of negotiation. Sure. There you go. Next time I know, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to LA and try to get that table. It's all about haggling <laughs> and, and haggle down. Rubes, I still need you to Venmo me your half of hosting fees for the podcast, mate. I need you to fix <laughs> my, me up my on that antique one. futures. Haven't come in yet. Table mate. first. That's the thing. Allison, if there's a uh, particular person in the New York City area that's interested in silver, can they reach out to you? Oh, for sure, for sure. I don't have anything set up right now, but if you want to go to a really great place where they sell antiques, is always 40 West 25th Street. There's an excellent antique center. There's someone there who sells old clocks and old watches, and they're really great guys in there. But to definitely reach out to me too. Can I ask you a random question? Silver, when's the last time people used silver to actually eat and eat with or use in their house? People still do it. People still do it. Even if you have to like polish every day, like it's yeah. so ridiculous. It's, it's, yeah, people do it. You don't have to polish it every day, but you know, after a month it starts to get like after a couple of weeks. It depends. It depends how much you use it. Depends where it sits. But people still use it. People use it for their silverware, for their serveware, um, vases. People still really use it, but it's again. Rubes just. Yeah, Rubes, just because you eat Papa John's out of a a cardboard (laughs) box, it doesn't mean everyone thinks like you do. Some people cherish their dinners and their lunches and their teas and they want to use the Are you saying I don't cherish my Papa John's? I absolutely do. (laughs) Next time, eat it with a silver fork. I will. Next time, it'll be a Yeah, come come back to us when you're eating it with silver. Do you remember remember in like the 90s? I know my my folks certainly did this, but do you remember when it used to be a big deal for people to have like a full silverware thing and it came in like briefcases of of like knives and stuff? Yeah, it still does. It still does. I just feel like like our our generation, like I can't remember the last, maybe it was like you used to go to weddings and people would be like, here's a 400 piece silverware set. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't register for, I didn't like put up any of that for my wedding. I got all stainless steel and I wish I did because let me tell you, the value would have gone up. The value holds. Whereas now let's say I wanted to sell my stainless steel, whatever I bought in Macy's, it's worth nothing. I couldn't even get a dollar for it. Now, if someone had bought me, spent the same amount on the silver as they would have on the stainless steel, I would have made money in it if you wanted to sell it, of course. But it holds its value. That's the cool part is that it holds its value. It's never going to be worthless. It's it's an interesting thing about silver being such an old um, element, if that's what you call it, that it's it's always going to hold that certain amount of value versus stainless steel i like my cast iron skillet there it's probably not going to be worth anything more than (laughs) i paid for it but how much time i've spent trying to season it and cook on it and yell at my roommates about it i I wish it was worth a lot more than it actually is (laughs) allison this was super illuminating who'd have thought that the antique world actually could have such fascinating stories i guess i guess ruben did Uh, i guess you knew that I, i i was a bit surprised so super cool Super cool. And people who work in antiques are super cool. They all have really interesting stories and um, are all a bit, a bit a little bit quirky. And that's usually where the best stories come from. So exactly. There it is. Thanks, Alison, for coming on. I'm definitely going to go Google me. some and eBay some furniture that I won't be able to afford. Yeah. Ribs. 
I'm not kidding. Venmo me the hosting fees. It's twelve dollars <laughs> for the previous month, please. Thank you. Man. That's, that's more than the the furniture that I'm. Once I haggle down this furniture, friends. One more thing before you go. If you're enjoying the show and want to support us, it's super easy. Just share your favorite episode with a mate and make sure to subscribe through your magical podcast listening application so you don't miss any new episodes. Thanks and see you soon.